0: this morning we come to the last letter to the churches of revelation and this final letter reminds me of something that recently played out in our home we were uh, my kids and i were kind of hanging out and all of a sudden we heard this knocking on the door and we, we have a window near the the door and of course you never answer the door without looking to see who's there first right so my, my kids sneak over to the window, and they look out, and they, they go, Dad, there's somebody there. And, and I walk over, and I look out the window, and I was like, and I realize it's a door-to-door salesman. So I was like, shh, because they're like, should we open the door? I was like, shh, no, don't say a word. Right, hi, turn off the TV. <laughs> I was like, hi, get down, get down. And they're like, Daddy, so went, no, shh. I remember my son then, he kind of looked like, we're literally ducking down, like kind of by the couch in the living room, just waiting, another knock at the door. They're like, Daddy, who's there? Finally, he's kind of getting nervous. He goes, Is it a robber? <laughs> and I said, No, son, it's worse. <laughs> it's Comcast, right? We've all had that moment, though. Right? There's a knock on the door, and, 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 and we assume, we, we don't answer because there's an assumption that we have. The assumption is, I don't want it because I don't need it. So I'm not answering. Now, the question that this text brings up, that Jesus asks us, is what if he's the one who's knocking at the door? What if he's the one who's knocking on some part of our lives? Is there an assumption that we have that I actually, I'm not going to answer because I don't want it and I don't need it, or perhaps I don't believe that whatever you're selling would be any, of any benefit to my life? Last week, we saw this open door that Jesus gives to all of us in our lives, this door of opportunity into the lives of others to serve others, to make his kingdom known. But Jesus says there's one more door, in fact, that there's a door in each of us, some part of our lives, some part of our soul, some small part of us that we tend to keep shut. We tend, when he comes knocking on it, to run and hide. In fact, for some of us, we've deadbolted that door. And it could be for lots of different reasons, right? It could be due to some kind of hurt. And we wonder, does God really have my best at heart, or is God just going to be like all the others? It could be because we, we lack, like, trust. Like, does, does God really have something better or good for me? What if I let him in? What, what, will, the, what will that mean for my life? I even like the changes that would come. What, whatever it might be, what Jesus is going to do in this last letter is he's essentially culminating the message of all these letters. And he's bringing it to this point of he's, he's essentially standing at the door and he's, giving, he's going to whisper through the door and give us a pitch. His, his final pitch to us to say there's, there are parts of your lives that you, you often leave shut off, sealed off to me. And I want to open that door. It's some part of you that you're not experiencing the fullness of the life that is in me. He wants to heal it. But we have to open the door. The question that Jesus is going to be asking throughout this morning is, why, why would you keep the door closed? The questions are going to be, what, what are the parts of our lives? What are the parts of your soul, of your life? What's that hidden away part deep down that perhaps you say, if you're a Christian, maybe you're saying you can open up all the other doors, but not, please, not this one. But Jesus is going to ask, are there parts of your life, is it your, your entire life? Where when I'm knocking, you, you, you kind of run and hide because there are assumptions there. What are those parts of our lives? And then second, he's going to ask us, will you let me in? Will you let me in? So first, we're going to look at who's at the door, who's standing at the door knocking. Second, we're going to look at why we tend to keep the door shut. And then third, we're going we're gonna to hear the pitch. We're going to hear Jesus' words inviting us to life and why we should open up the door. And invite him in. So let's pray before I dive in, though. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this passage and this image. Uh, Lord, it, for all of us, this is something, an, a different area, something different. But we all have these, these rooms, these parts of us that we, we keep sealed off. And so, Lord, I, I recognize in myself those parts of my life. And so, Lord, I, I'm not adequate to convey these words. Lord, you must do so. And, and so, Spirit, would you speak through these words? Would you nudge us whatever part of our life, of our souls, whatever doors remain shut, especially, Lord, when there are just years of just deadbolting? Would you speak to us? Would you help us see the life that awaits us when we open that door. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so first, who's at the door? Uh, So essentially what we have here is knock-knock, right? Who's there? Jesus. Jesus who? Verse 14 tells us, right? So verse 14, it says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness the beginning of God's creation. So what, what's, what's being said here? So uh, to recap again, at the beginning of every one of these letters, we're given a vision of Jesus, uh, a vision of Jesus kind of reigning in the heavens. Essentially, what's going on in the book of Revelation, because I know for a lot of folks, when you come to the book of Revelation, it's kind of a mystery. How should I read this? The book of Revelation, a shorthand, is that essentially God is pulling back the veil on reality, and he's saying in the heavenly realms, this is what is most true. Because we tend to have right in front of us what we see are material things, right? We see the troubles of our lives. Uh, we, we see faces. We, we, see, we see the material things around us. And, and sometimes those just kind of drown out this bigger reality that God wants us to see. And so Jesus pulls back the veil throughout the book of Revelation and say, this is what it looks like right now if you could see the full picture. And Jesus said, this is what my reign looks like. And right now he says, this is what I look like. I am the amen. Now, where are you saying amen at the end of a prayer? Why do we say amen at the end of a prayer? Amen is just another word for yes or let it be so. And so what he's saying here is I am the one who is let it be so. Yes, kind of that, that final culminating moment when you go, oh, yes, finally we found what we've been looking for. But what is he the yes to? He says, I'm the yes, I'm the faithful and the true witness. I am the one who brings about this, this something. And what is that? He says, I'm the beginning of God's creation. What Jesus is saying there is, I'm the beginning of what is the new reality that God is bringing about. I am restoring what was lost. That sense in your soul that things just are not as they are supposed to be in this life. That I am the one who brings that sense of, finally, I found what I was looking for. Yes. See, we can go back to creation. Before time began, God existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is, the, this is the Christian understanding of creation and who we are as human beings, that God existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and God didn't create the world because God needed like a bunch of friends, right? God created the world because God existed in the triune community of love. And in that triune community of love, the Son loving the Father and the Father delighting in the Son and the Spirit delighting in the Father and the Son, that eventually overflowed like an artist overflows with expressing delight and love. The cosmos we live in, is God's blank tapestry that he started with, and he painted on it. He created the world, this entire universe, as this majestic piece of art to say, I am like this. It's a work of delight, We live in this theater of glory, of holiness, of goodness, of love, of truth, of beauty, of justice, and into that world at the culmination of that creation, God made us in His image. What it means as human beings to be made in the image of God, one aspect, a primary aspect, is that it means we have the capacity to relate to God, to know Him, to essentially, we are invited in and being created into experiencing that love in His creation and that was lost. Some aspect of that is missing. And the reason why Jesus comes and he's the amen is because essentially with Jesus, what he's saying is, I am recreating that original garden, that original reality that God has made. What, in whatever way it has been lost, I am restoring it. And so what Jesus is doing here in this letter is he's saying, there is essentially a part of you that has not experienced it. There's kind of a room in your soul, a part of who you are. It could be finances. It could be some aspect of your identity. It could be your career. Some some area that you're just going, I'm not going to allow you into that area. And he's saying, I want to complete that part. I want to bring a new beginning. I want to bring healing. I want to bring life. And so this is why Jesus comes to the church here and he's knocking on the door. And the question is, will they allow him to complete it? So the second part then, why do we keep the door closed? Why do we keep the door closed? So continue in verse 15 and 16. Again, this is Revelation 3, uh, verse 15. I know your works. So now in all the letters, after Jesus gives a vision of himself, then he begins to address the church. He says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold, or cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's, that's quite the imagery, right? So what's Jesus saying there? Well, first, what Jesus is doing is he's going, he offers an assessment of our souls. First thing he does is he, he offers a clear assessment of the state of our souls. Second, then, he's going to reveal or unpack the assumption the assumption that keeps our souls in that state. Okay, so first the, the assumptions. Let me break this down. So what's he mean by, uh, you know, this hot nor cold, but you're lukewarm? Uh, a lot of times what happens when folks interpret this is they origi- uh, immediately jump to, well, what this means is like spiritual passion and like you should be hot. But then Jesus says, or it'd be good that you were cold. And you're like, well, what does cold mean, right? it's almost confusing. What does he mean by lukewarm? Well, it's helpful if we understand the historical context of Laodicea because Jesus is using something that they knew very well if they lived in the ancient city of Laodicea. And he's using it to just make a statement about the, the, to assess the state of their souls. This is some background here. It comes from a commentary in the book of Revelation. It says this, the picture of hot, cold, and lukewarm water is seen as a unique feature of Laodicea and the surrounding region in the first century. The hot waters of Hierapolis, which was a nearby city, had a medicinal, medicinal effect. And the cold waters of Colossae, another nearby city, were pure, drinkable, and had a life-giving effect. However, there is evidence that Laodicea had access to only warm water, which was not very palatable and, and, and caused nausea. Indeed, Laodicea had grown as a town because its position was conducive for commerce. They they grew up the town not having really a good good reservoir of water. But it was a great spot as an outpost for trading. But it was far from good water. When the city tried to pipe water in, it could manage only to obtain tepid, emetic water. So what Jesus is saying he's saying just like you know in your local water source that if you drink lukewarm water that it actually will make you sick that it actually is this tepid water, that there's something in it that it's not good for you, that actually what he's saying is he's making a, he's kind of diagnosing their souls. And so he says, I'll spit you out. And remember, Jesus is truth himself. So Jesus is spitting them out because he's saying, there's, I'm not going to have any untruth in me. There's something not good, something untrue that's mixed into your souls. And therefore, you are not in a healthy state. It reminds me of a, a friend once told me a story of, I think she was in high school, she got sick, her dad had been working all day, and her dad comes and picks her up from school. And she sits down in the passenger seat, she's not feeling well, and he's like, hey, because he knew that she loved from McDonald's, she loved like, you know, Coke or whatever. So he got her a Coke, and there's two, two uh, cups there, sitting there, and so she's not feeling well. she's sitting there, and uh, her dad had uh, like uh, uh, like chewing tobacco. And he would use one of the cups as his spittoon. You can see where this is going. And so she, she's, you know, not feeling well, she reaches over, and they both have a lid on them, and she takes the cup, and she just drinks it, takes it, like, takes, it off, takes a big gulp of it, realizing, wrong cup, right? <laughs> so immediately, it's like, this ain't Coca-Cola, right? So she just spits it all over the place, right? <laughs> like, disgusting, spits it all over the place. Well, why does she do that? She does it because if she ingests it, it will make her sick. She immediately knows this is not healthy, Right? And it's the same thing Jesus is saying, what I taste, when I taste the state of your soul, I immediately know it's not healthy. And so immediately Jesus spits it out. It's a pronouncement. It's an assessment. He's saying there's something in your souls that's not well. Now, what's interesting, though, is it seems that the church is unaware of that. The church seems to be doing fine. And Jesus says, the reason why I'm I'm assessing your soul, but then he says there's an assumption that's keeping your soul in that state. That's what he then goes into in verse 17. He says, for you say, I am rich. So the people say, I am rich. He says, you don't realize that you're you're not in a healthy state because you, you are assuming you're rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So see, because Laodicea was the center of commerce, like, it, this isn't quite a, a right historical parallel, but uh, imagine they, they live almost in like a Wall Street of Asia Minor. So of course they materially are very wealthy. But he's saying that material wealth is allowing you to have an assumption that you're okay. When he says, in, fa- in fact, actually, you're poor. But spiritually, you're not well. Now, how did that happen? And what I should say here is, Jesus is not just saying here merely riches are bad. I should point this out. Jesus, as we, as we unpack this, we'll see, Jesus isn't, isn't just saying things are in, the, in and of themselves bad. Riches are not bad. However, he says the assumption that can often come with riches, let's save that slide for later, the assumption that can come with riches is often what is bad for our souls. Now, also I should note that there are different riches. Because we could easily read this, right, and we immediately go, well, I'm, uh, I'm not wealthy. I don't have a lot of money in my bank account, so I'm good here. We'll come back to that because Jesus is saying there are actually more than one kind of riches in life. Because notice, here's how the assumption works. Here's how it works in our souls. Notice the progression here. It says, first, I am rich. So there's something that we're able, we have something that we're good at, something that we're rich in, something that we're talented in, something that we possess. And he says that that thing gives you purchasing power. He says, then I can prosper. Like, I can get stuff. I can get adulation. I can get material, you know, I can get just stuff. I can buy things. He says, then it leads to the ultimate assumption. I need nothing. In other words, I'm okay. Riches can give the assumption Again, I don't want it because I don't need it. What Jesus is saying here is the reason why, as he's going to say later, when I come knocking on the door, that we tend to leave the door locked. We tend to leave the door closed. We tend to ignore. It's because riches give us the assumption that we're okay. Okay. Now, again, what are these riches? Riches can be anything. It's not just, okay, if I don't have a lot of money in my bank account, then Jesus is just talking about rich people, and we all, none of us like billionaires. So Jesus is just talking about billionaires. Now, Jesus here, here's the thing, riches could be many things. Riches here are anything that can actually satisfy our souls, give us that sense of salvation. So riches could be money, or they could be athletic or academic achievement, Riches could be attractiveness. Riches could be a reputation. Riches could be a social media following. Riches could be many things. But all these forms of riches, whatever those things are in our life that essentially when everything's not okay, we run to to tell us we're okay, those things can give us that false sense, that assumption that we're okay, that we're secure, that were strong, that were significant. So if your riches are, let's say, attractiveness, just to work this out a little bit, if your riches are attractiveness, then, you know, you prosper in getting attention. And it can be easy to think, then why would I need anything else? Right? If your riches, I don't know, if you're like the greatest bingo player in the world, right, and then you get the adulation of the bingo community, who could need anything else, right? That's for someone in here. but riches could be many different things. Riches could be the respect that you have because of how your kids turned out. Riches could be money. Riches could be being top in your class. But Jesus is saying you don't realize your riches are often literally paper-thin coverings of empty parts of you that we often use riches as a way to cover up those parts of us that we want to hide. In other words, maybe not hide it, as much as we just, we don't want to have to look at it. And he says under the riches, this is why he says behind the door, left to yourself. This is why he says you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're naked, you're blind, that you're covering your deep shame with, and hurt with trinkets and titles and followers and hookups and degrees. Yet you sense you're naked. You sense that you're naked and you're empty inside, and so if anything, when you realize it, you just, and it doesn't work anymore, you have to go and just purchase more. And the cycle continues on. So what happens is if our riches are, let's say, success, then often it's because deep down, a part of us feels inadequate right that if i'm not successful will anyone really find me significant or really love me if, if if our significance our riches are found in i don't know social media then it might be could be covering up the deep part of us fears being left out or insignificant or irrelevant if our riches are always being right then maybe it's because deep down a part of us fears the unknown or being vulnerable Riches make us feel like we need nothing because they offer a locked door where that part stays hidden and safe. But here's the thing what Jesus is saying is, it's still there, isn't it? It's there at 2 a.m. It, it comes out when all the stresses of life, right, mount up, and then all of a sudden you become overwhelmed by anxi- anxiety that you might be exposed. That... Why that anxiety and exhaustion? Because ultimately, it depends on you. See, what's interesting here is the phrasing. He says, I say, I am rich. Now, here's the thing, what Jesus is saying is, if your identity becomes, I am rich, I have that thing, therefore, thank you very much, Jesus, I'm able to provide for my life. Then what Jesus is saying is, what happens? Who are you if you lose it? I am what? If you lose the title, if your attractiveness fades, if the social media post is ignored, right? Right? Your grown kids fail. If the money runs out, then what Jesus is saying is, who are you then? Poor, naked, exposed, empty. And what happens is we tend to be reduced to that part of us when we have to face that part of us. Here's the principle, of the slide that was up before of what Jesus is saying is redemption as your, or riches as your redemption will actually lead to poverty. Redemption, though, Jesus is going to say, as your riches leads to true wealth and true satisfaction. See, what Jesus says then when he continues in verse 18, is he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. So that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself. So buy gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And buy white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve, buy salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, buy from me. He's saying, "Use." you have to trust something. You are ultimately going to have to trust something. And you can either trust me or you can trust the things in this world. You can place your faith. You can place your trust for that sense of who you are. That thing that actually says, I'm rich, I'm okay, I'm fine. I'm sufficient. Now, I want to, before I'm packing these, I just want to say something here. Because I know what often happens at this point is, this seems like, it's usually painted as this part of faith of trusting, finding our identity in something other than the things of this world, that oftentimes when we hear this, the assumption rolls into our minds, something, it goes something like this, that's fine for religious people and for some people, but that faith thing is not for me. But I would say, hold up. We all live by faith in whatever that thing is that we call Riches. It's not a matter of if you will live by faith. It's what your faith is in. We can trust and put our faith into the stock market. but What is that at the end of the day? It's just faith in the economy. We can put our trust into what other people say about us or who are able to get to date us or, or the kind of respect and reputation that we have. But ultimately, what is that? That's just faith in what others say about us. In other words, again we all live by faith. And what Jesus is saying, and he's asking this question, he's pointing here, where he's saying, here's the thing, what you're placing your faith in, Don't get over this whole idea that I, I'm, not, I'm not a religious person, I'm not kind of one of those weak people who lives by faith. We all live by faith in something. But what Jesus is saying is just be honest about what it is, and the question is, does that thing give you peace? Does that thing reach down into those parts of you and actually love you back? Will that thing be there for you and satisfy you in a hundred years? Jesus is saying, don't believe this lie that you're, you're immune from having to live by faith. He's saying you're placing your faith in something and it is driving your soul. Will you place your faith in something that will give you life? And what Jesus is saying, is, he's saying, I'm knocking because I want you to have life. And not be driven around by something giving you these false promises. And every time it falls short, then it's just give me a little bit more, give me a little bit more, give me a little bit more. And you're exhausted. And it reminds me of that line in Alice in Wonderland where it says, just running faster and faster just to stay in the same place. Just saying, I will give you something that will satisfy you. And so he says, buy from me gold refined by fire. He's saying, I will give you something that will not fade. That when all the hardships, the fires and the storms of life come, when you lose your job, when your, your body grows old and, y- and your, your attraction fades, when all of a sudden the crowds turn on you, he says, when that fire comes, will what you have be gold or will it just be gone? I want you to have gold. He says, I'll give you, buy white garments from me, get something that gives you an identity that you're not constantly trying to cover up your shame with it, but I'll remove it so you're completely freed from it and you're not constantly living, wondering if I'm just going to be exposed as naked and ashamed and everyone's going to see this. He says, buy sal for your eyes so you're not living blind. He's saying, I want to give you a completely new perspective so you're not living your life locked up in that room, just trying to barricade yourself in and living life from that perspective of anxiety and constantly trying to cover it up, numbing it, or living just unaware of it, yet it still drives your life. I know some of these things, they're not the easiest things, but Jesus says these things because he's truth. And when he tastes our lives, he says, there is something there. I don't, I don't want you to live in that state. He says, I say these things because I love you. Verse 19, those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Repentance just means to turn from one way of life to another. He says, repent from trying to find your life in all these riches and find your riches in me. Turn from that. He says, I'll bring things into your life. And here's the thing. God, God doesn't want anything. Jesus doesn't want anything from us. If you're here today and you're like, hey, I'm here because somebody asked me to come because we're being baptized, whatever the story may be, what I would say hear this clearly, Jesus, he doesn't want anything from you. He wants everything for you wants life for you and perhaps you're in a season where you sense it's hard because like, maybe those riches haven't worked o- often God will bring us through hard times because he wants us to see we're meant for bigger things He'll strip us of of stuff and titles and dependent relationships in order to make us aware that we're naked. He'll make us weak in order to become aware of just how dependent we are when we always thought we were dominating and we realize actually we're incredibly dependent. He does it so it breaks us out of our assumptions that we're okay. He does it so that when he comes knocking on the door we would We would realize what he's offering us. So we'd open the door, and that's where we come to the final pitch, why we would open the door. Verse 20, where all this knocking imagery is coming from, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You know, it strikes me that Jesus doesn't just kick the door down, right? Jesus doesn't just invade. This is an invitation, not an invasion, right? This isn't like the old Kool-Aid commercials, right? Like Uncle Kool-Aid just, oh, yeah, right? Like Jesus just kind of kicks down the wall into our life, like splashing your juice all over me, Jesus. Like, right? Jesus doesn't just invade. It's not, I I heard, I actually tried to look up knock-knock jokes for Jesus. (laughs) Knock-knock. Who's there? Jesus. Jesus who? Jesus Jesus Christ, just open the door, right? <laughs> like, come on, it's Jesus Christ, open the door. Like, Jesus not just come and like, open the door. This isn't a picture here of Jesus knocking on the door like an angry parent at a teenager, banging on the door, going, open up the door, I know what you're doing in there. We could hear that, right? And said this is Jesus saying, he's knocking and he's saying, I know what in there. I know you. I know whatever it is. I know that you're, the door is actually closed because you're scared. The door is actually closed because you're scarred. The door is actually closed because you, you're trying to eke out life and satisfaction in there. And I know, I know how you're hurting. I know how empty at the end of the day sometimes you feel. And I don't want you to be stuck there. And so what Jesus does is he says, I have a meal. It's interesting, this meal, he says, I'll come in and I will eat with him and he with me. It's interesting, that imagery of a meal. Because the imagery of the meal is meant to address this question that we often have for a variety of reasons. of Why would I open up the door? Why would I let why would I let God into that area? Why would I let anyone into that area of my life? Eating was an incredibly intimate act in the first century. Incredibly, incredibly intimate. It broke down class barriers. What Jesus is saying is, I'm God from the heavens, and I've come, I've entered into your world, and I've come to you. If you think God would never want anything to do with me, he says, I've overcome all the obstacles. I, I've come in human flesh. I want you It was incredibly intimate. They would sit around. They didn't, you know, Earl's sandwich hadn't come around, so they didn't even have sandwiches with their meat or whatnot, and they didn't have silverware. Usually the way they would eat is is they'd have a common bowl, and in the middle you would use your hands and scoop it up and eat it. Imagine your hands in there with Jesus. This hits home for me. Some of you may know this. I meant to get a picture of this. I'm going to have to show you from here. Uh, when I was a kid, my, my uh, index finger is shorter than the other one. See that? You can kind of see it. And it's mangled on the end, tore off the end of it, never grew back. I've always been kind of embarrassed about that little part of me. When I worked for a while as a barista, I would always hand the cup of coffee, kind of tucking my finger, and hand it to people. You'll notice I still do this day sometimes when I point to things, I'll point this way, and then I'll point this way. I had to learn not, you know, use three fingers. Uh, I learned that in elementary school, actually, for a reason, uh, but I, I, because there's this part of me, that this little bit of, like, this deformity, this thing that actually, in a small way, like, I feel this little bit of shame, and so I kind of hide it. So it strikes me when Jesus says, bring a meal, and you'll share it with me, and I imagine myself with this hand, putting it in there with Jesus' And you can imagine, like, I would probably put it in there and kind of tuck the finger, kind of hide it, and I can imagine Jesus just going, no, 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 no. no. I want all of you. Even that part of you. The part of you that's crippled by dependencies, that part of you that feels deformed, that part of you that it's because maybe there was just some hurt, some pain, something somebody did to you, because of some shame, because of something you did to someone else. Whatever that thing is, that part of you, that what Jesus is saying is, I I want to commune with you. I want to eat with you. And we all have that part of us that we say, you can have all of this, but this part I'm holding back. And he says, don't hold it back. Whatever your past is, whatever that thing that comes to mind where you're like, I just don't want to look at it, I don't want to face it. You feel in your soul like that's some part that there's no way God's grace would extend it, that God's, God could cleanse that, that God could heal that, that God could free that. He's saying, no, let me in and trust me. You don't have to cover it with whatever the riches are, with the titles and the trinkets and the TikTok likes. You don't have to cover the shame with that stuff. open up and trust him. Jesus also speaks to those of us who hesitate to loosen our, our, our grip on riches, right? Because after all, like, riches provide security. They provide significance. You might be in a place where you've, whatever your riches are, you've built quite the life with those riches. Perhaps you built that life because it was a great way to protect yourself, Without those riches, I think as Brene Brown said, we all, when we're vulnerable, we feel like a a turtle without a shell and a briar patch. (laughs) Without the riches, you're vulnerable. So you put a big deadbolt on that door, let alone don't open it. Perhaps it's hard to believe that, Jesus, that you could trust anyone with that part of yourself again. And so power riches upon riches just to barricade that door. And what Jesus is saying, saying whatever that part of you that's there, he's knocking, and you wonder, will he just do the same? Or if you let him in, you're afraid the change that it would bring about in your life. Verse 21 is for you. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This imagery Jesus says is that he says, I have a seat right here for you. Eternal security, eternal significance, true power, true purpose, meaning, safety. Jesus is saying, I, I came down to lift you up, to show you true life so you can trust me. He says, I didn't come to exploit you. I came to embrace you. And wherever we're holding on to those riches, he also is saying, listen, I, I want to show you the path to true, true investment in a life that matters, investment that is eternally significant. Imagine Jesus whispering this through the door to all of us as we hesitate to open it. So the question is, what what doors are you keeping closed? What parts of you do you keep sealed off? Verse 22 then ends, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again and again, he comes to this at the end of his letters to pray, to ask the Spirit. And I would just encourage you, ask the Spirit, Spirit, what are those areas like? Are the areas I'm just, it's sealed off watertight and I'm not letting you in? And maybe it's, if you know what that area is, one of the things that God works out, that vertical relationship we have with him by taking horizontal steps with others that we trust. The first step could look like opening up that door and letting someone in who you trust saying, I've never let anyone else into this area. Can I share this with you? And invite them in and allow them to speak God's, God's truth, God's word, God's love into that area of your life. But Jesus says, I want you to be satisfied. I want you to know true riches. He's knocking on each and every one of our souls. The question is, What part of you is he knocking on? And then the question remains, will you let him in? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for just the simple picture that captures, Lord, this. We all, whatever it is, that area for each of us. Those parts of us or we wonder, we, we, we kind of hide it, we, we lock it away. And Lord, often there are just layers and layers of riches that barricade the door. That help seal it off so we get a false sense of being free from it, being healed, and it's still there. And so, Lord, I, I ask that for each of us, whatever that area is, Lord, would you, when we, when we feel that knocking, if you use someone else in our life right now to be knocking on that area, or we, we just open the door. Lord, I ask that we would be for one another. We would not be like so much of our society around us where we just compete or contend against one another, but that we would contend for one another. That we would be a people who having had the doors of our lives open, Lord, we, we're willing to step in and eat with to get, to open up our lives to others and show that grace and that love. May, may we be a people who just embody that. Would you do that work? Would you do that miracle in our midst, Lord? Would you make us that kind of people? Jesus, we thank you that we know your grace is sufficient. We thank you Lord, that you don't open the doors and come in just to invade and ridicule, but you come in in order to heal and set us free and give us life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.